0: We're in uh, our ongoing study of First Peter, and we're going to be in chapter 4 here this morning. It is still morning, isn't it? Yeah, it's this morning. And um, here, Peter, if you're following in your uh, outline or your, your, the notes that I gave you, we're on page 7, <clears throat> and it's, uh, I call this the pattern of Christ's suffering and exaltation. Um, obviously, what Peter is doing here is he's drawing in Uh, the suffering of Jesus, obviously the cross and all that was a part of of his passion and um, the the suffering that is a part of living in a broken world. And um, if I can make one brief aside comment, I think one of the things that disturbs me the most about some, not all, but some of the televangelists is they're sending the message that come to Jesus and everything's going to be okay. Yeah. You won't get sick, you're going to be wealthy, you know, the prosperity gospel stuff. And you know, honestly, man, that's, that honestly borders on heresy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It really does. That is very, very close to heretical, because that is not the teaching of the Bible. The teaching of the Bible is that we live in a broken world, we live in a fallen world, and there are always going to be things going wrong. That you know Jesus doesn't mean you're not going to be sick. Or that you know Jesus doesn't mean there may not be a catastrophe that will hit your home. The issue is not that. The issue is now you have your Savior and Redeemer who's going to take you through it and going to bring good out of it. And I don't mean to sound cross because it is uh, that's that's very difficult and hurtful when we all go through things like that. And that, I, I just don't know how anyone can read the epistle of 1 Peter and by the prosperity gospel. I, I don't know how you can do that. I, I just don't know how. You, when you say that to people, then you're telling them a lie. You're telling them something that's not true. And so Peter isn't hiding it. But I want you to notice, now, again, I'm reading from the ESV translation. It might be a little different than the one you have, but I think the sense of it's going to be the same. <clears throat> he begins in chapter 4, verse 1. Since therefore... Now, that therefore takes us back to everything he had been talking about regarding suffering in chapter 3. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh. All right? We understand that. We understand that premise. Jesus suffered. And he suffered in the flesh, meaning as the God-man. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. What do you find Um, what do you find most important? Because the command is arm yourselves. That's the command, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. What's interesting about that is the term thinking. The same way of thinking. Um, What does he mean by that? Okay, I want to come back to arm yourselves in a minute, but the same way of thinking, same way of thinking. What does he mean by that?
1: We've got a target on our back.
0: Okay. So, uh, is that the thought process? Is that the thought
1: well,
0: idea? Is that what you mean? It, it is for me. Is when some, you become saved,
1: <laughs> you get a target on <laughs> well,
0: <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, and I don't disagree with that, Glenn. I said it's perseverance. Right? He, he, had, he had
2: something to do. He had someplace to go. He had a task at hand. Yeah, I guess in my, in my in my mind, what I'm hearing is the same way of thinking. You know what's right. You know what you need to do. Get your mind around it and persevere through
0: what's you. Okay, that's that's good. Uh, I I think I mean both what both of you guys are saying is 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 accurate, and and it's Peter is saying since Christ suffered in the flesh, and and you're right, persevering. That was one of the main reasons he came to earth. That's one of the main purposes of the whole redemptive program of God was that Jesus would come as the God-man suffer, die, be resurrected, go back to the Father, and so on. Um, arm yourselves with that way of thinking. Don't expect that your life is going to be any different than Christ's life. Since Christ suffered, you should expect that too. Now, now, obviously, and actually some in the early church, it was literally, I mean, some would be actually crucified. But I mean for the most part, you and I don't face that in 2017. But that that <coughs> we that we will suffer. That life will be hard, and that you may find yourself suffering for your faith, for what you believe. You should you should almost expect that. That should be your thought process. And as I, I mentioned a moment ago, it it's one of the things that upsets me quite a bit when I hear some of, and again, not all of them by any stretch, but some of the television pastors, just some of the things they say and preach, it's it's almost harmful to the Christian, the typical Christian, and as they're walking day by day in their life. Um, so, I, I could... I was ready to start down a bunny trail, and I'm not going to do that. But it is—it's <clears throat> just—it's a, a—it's a very important part of our um, mindset. I can i think want to be used that word, but our mindset as a Christian—it's almost like he's saying, "Because Jesus suffered, so will you." And that's—that's that's hard. I mean, that doesn't preach well. Mm-hmm. That's not the thing that you stand up in the pulpit and you preach that, and people are going to say, "Amen." They're probably not going to do that, <laughs> you know. They're probably not going to say, "We're with you, brother. Thank you." Uh, it's, but that's. I'm, I'm starting to preach. I better settle down here. So it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a reality, and it's important to always remember this. This world is broken. This world's a mess because of sin. And Jesus came to deal with that. But it's not going to, that final triumph is not going to be until he comes back the second time. So until then, the brokenness and fallenness of the world and just the nature of sin, it, it expect to suffer. But you have a whole different perspective, which is what he starts to talk about here. So, yeah, please, friend. <clears throat>
1: so Christ came into this broken world and... Who did he depend on? He depended on God. Mm-hmm. On the and Father. And he mm-hmm. expressed that dependence multiple times through through his time on earth. Absolutely. And, and that if we're going to live like Christ, then we should also ex- express our dependence on, on God and, and appreciate the dependence that we have.
0: That's right. I mean, all of those very important uh, thoughts and, and and teachings of the Scripture are part of how we approach this. Absolutely. Okay. Then I, I guess I'll, I'll just make sure: is is everybody with me? And more particularly, and more importantly, is everybody with what Peter is saying here? I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to. Um, I don't want to gloss over this or paper over Amen. this. It it is a it is a deep, it is a profound, and it's an important truth. Because Jesus suffered, we should not expect it necessarily to be easy because of the nature of the world in which we live. Arm yourself with that way of thinking. Have that mindset. And so he says, and then he adds something which is, uh, is, is quite amazing to me, but it's also a little bit difficult how, it, how it's understood. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased <laughs> from sin. Amen? <laughs> <laughs> now the whoever is... The, the antecedent of the whoever is not Jesus. The antecedent of whoever is us. It's believers. <laughs> now... <clears throat> we have talked about this in a number of different settings in our study over the years. It's it's a concept, it's a teaching, it's a a theological truth. And so I've written it on the board. It's positional truth. It's our position um, in Christ. Because we belong to Christ, because we are now identified with Christ, because being in Christ is our new identity, Because being in Christ is now who we are. Our relationship, the power, our identity with sin has been broken. So the positional truth that that Peter is really referring to is developed comprehensively and totally in Romans chapter 6. Now, this is one of the things that's a little frustrating about Peter sometimes. He'll say something like this in a phrase, and in back of it are whole chapters of the New Testament. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. And so what we have to do is we have to try to unpack that in in, in its in the thrust of its teaching. So let's, uh, Glenn.
2: Can you give yes. some context behind that? because um, period. Peter what? didn't write, didn't, did not author. Write. No, no, no. So, is it a different perspective looking at the same box? Uh, Timeline-wise, has he read what was written for moments?
0: Well, I think it's, uh, that I, I love how you put that. It's a different perspective looking at the same box. Um, Peter is, uh, Paul and they they never contradict one another, and I know you know that. But Paul is looking at this whole issue in the book of Romans is, first three chapters, we're all sinner, the universal condemnation of all humanity because of sin. God's solution to that is justification by faith. The best example of that is Abraham, and I just develops it. And then Romans 6, he brings in the issue of the law, he brings up enslavement and bondage to sin, only that is broken in Jesus Christ. Okay? Peter is looking at it from a different perspective. It looks the same truth. This is who we are in Christ. But he's looking at it from the perspective of, of suffering and the difficulties of living in a broken world. Not, our, it, not, not sin and its enslavement. He's talking about the, the suffering and the expectation of the kind of life you should expect now that you've come to Christ.
2: I guess
0: what needs are different. His voice is so different from Paul's. Oh, intimate, oh. oh,
2: yeah, definitely. Conversational- and the
0: whole style of his writing is totally different. Oh, absolutely. But just like both Paul and Peter are totally different from the person who wrote Hebrews. Their style, I mean, and that's okay. I mean, As a matter of fact, to me, that's one of the major... Um, one of the major arguments we use for inspiration of scripture but that's another topic that we don't want to talk about right now so I don't know if I've answered your question or made the kind of comment that helps or not i I mean here I loved how you put it it's a different perspective about the same box both of them in wholly different contexts are talking about our position in Christ who are we our identity in Christ and how does that affect and they're both talking about something different how does that affect so Peter is saying, because of who I am in Christ, how does that affect how I approach suffering? Whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. It,
2: it's almost as if Peter's rating it from a, from a personal point of view. Does that affect you personally? A lot of what I read from Paul mm. in my mind is more organizational.
0: When heavily, heavily theological, I mean, he's out, he, Paul, is out to prove theological propositions. Peter, and you are absolutely right, it's good insight, Peter is talking about very, very personal things from a theological perspective. But he's not trying to prove a theological proposition like Paul is in Romans. Romans is about theological propositions that need to be proved. That's right, because it's, that's why it's called the Constitution of Christianity. It's, it, that's what it is. And the difference between that and, like, Peter's writings, or, or even James, uh, the Epistle of James, is it's highly personal, highly applicational, and it's, it's just assuming that you know the theology back of it. Like, James doesn't tell us how to be justified. He's just assuming you're justified, this is how you live. Well, that's a big difference than how Paul does it. But that's, that's understanding the difference of the authors and what they're trying to do. So when Peter says, the ESV translated, has ceased from sin, that's not perfectionism. Do you know what I mean by that? Where you're absolutely perfect. That's not what he means. Your bondage and enslavement to the power of sin has been broken. That's, that's, that's the point that he's making. Because of who you are, and because you are suffering... It's just evidence and it's, that's not good evidence for me, but it is evidence that the power of sin has been broken in your life. You have a whole new mindset, a whole new perspective on the nature and this again is something Peter doesn't develop here but the nature and purpose of suffering. the nature and perfect, the nature and purpose of, of pain and difficulties. It's why James says in another very personal, application of book, verse two of chapter one, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Who wants to do that? I mean, who wants to do that? But as he develops, we studied a couple years ago, that's how God grows you.
1: That's how God matures you. So, back to, to Glenn's trying to understand things, you know, Paul or Saul was a Pharisee from the family family of Pharisees, mm-hmm. and Peter's is, is your common everyday right. businessman. Right. So that, that that's uh, and that Paul's Paul very very uh, Old Testament organized and in, in the law and he's, that's the way he thinks in the law, and then he's he's presenting the new message in that lawyer well, versus tradesman. Yeah. yeah.
0: Sure, and that's going to influence how. They write in the perspective they have. Absolutely, like Joe Yedger. Oh,
1: I just uh,
2: kind of thinking about this backwards of a converse of this. I, I don't personally feel like I've really suffered in my body a great deal. So does that mean that I'm not done with sin?
0: <laughs> uh, no, yeah. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want you to conclude that it's. Well,
2: is it, that the only? I mean, you know what I'm saying. Uh,
0: uh, uh, to... Well if you you have that way of thinking the second clause in verse one and it's like whoever or as you suffer in the flesh you are you are seeing that from the perspective of now I understand why this is happening to me uh the power. And bondage of sin has been broken in my life, so I have a new way of thinking, a new way of responding, a new way of understanding what is happening in my life. You
1: might
2: have
0: suffered and you didn't realize you were suffering because you're tough. <laughs> and 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 well, you know, mean, Joel... Sometimes people are so sensitive.
2: I mean, just a little thing they think they're suffering,
0: and then some people, you know, lose a foot. Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah live, but, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, and I mean, and and. and uh, I, I don't want to get specific because I, I know you, but I don't know you real well. You're still young, Joel. I mean, and and all I mean by that is suffering takes lots of forms too. It isn't just the physical suffering of laying on a bed with heart disease or cancer or you had an accident or something like that. It, there's there's a great deal that goes with that. It can be it can be you take a stand for the Lord of integrity and 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 resolve at your work because your boss is asking you to do something unethical or I'm just making something up. I don't think that ever necessarily has happened to you, but it's that kind of thing. And then you, therefore you find yourself ostracized or perhaps even losing a job because of that. That That's a stand for Christ. And you just have a, you have a very different perspective about the things that happen in your life than a person who doesn't know the Lord. And it's, um, it's why The way Peter does this is frustrating to me because he needs to add a whole other chapter between the first clause and the second clause, but he doesn't do that. It's again like so much of the New Testament and indeed often much of the Bible. It is assuming you know a lot of the other things that are taught in the whole Council of God. Which is why it is so important that all of us, myself included, continue a lifestyle of studying the
2: Bible. Because
0: that's I've, how you get the mind of Christ.
2: Yeah. One thing I've learned, in, I've been coming for 10 years to uh, your class, and even just the other day, I'm like, man, I'm doing pretty damn good. But then God reveals, well, this has been a problem the whole time, <laughs> and you didn't even know it was a problem because... You know because you had all these other worst problems you were dealing with yeah you got another crack that yeah. you gotta fix yep and uh, that's how the lord often that really, died i mean when you get revealed you got another crack like i got it's like you just gotta start off over again you're not as good as you,
1: you're not <laughs> as you, found. And, you yeah. know it was
2: just revealed that something that you didn't even think about before wasn't great yeah. and
0: we're always a work in progress, Matt. We're always a work in progress. And sometimes
1: mm-hmm. we're not ready to learn. Yeah. <laughs> so kicks in our and the,
0: yeah. And the Lord just keeps you, reminding along and Yeah. You're
1: going to identify those problems as we live.
0: Exactly. And as you go. Huh? <laughs>
2: They're only 24 hours in the day. Yeah, clear. We talked about flesh many worldly things, I think, yeah. a couple of some weeks ago. Mm-hmm. But you you know, see it again. 24 hours in a day. Mm-hmm. Maybe that changes when we get to him.
0: <laughs> That's true, John. You um,
2: well, my translation says, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. And what, what did you call constitutional theocracy? Is Paul's? Did I get the Well, uh,
0: it has, uh, the book of Romans has been nicknamed the Constitution of Christianity.
2: Constitution
0: of, of Christianity. Christianity. In other words, it's, Okay. It's laying out all the okay. propositions, theological proven.
2: Time and again, Paul in Romans he talks about you have died to sin, mm-hmm. and so, right. This is a little bit on the same order. It is. It but, is. But but, but it's because of your suffering in your life, it may be in jeopardy and, and everything, and you're kind of straightening out your priorities about what's what's important. Is that more what Peter's
0: getting at? It it, it can be. Uh, it, I think, though, again, what he's what he's saying to us is, it's almost like as you suffer in the flesh, it is important to remember that the the power and bondage of sin has been broken in your life. It's that so that, and then that's why verse two is so important. So, so as here's the result. Here's the anticipated intended result. Of you thinking that way. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh. What's that mean? The rest of your life. No longer for human passions. You could translate that human lusts. The problem with translating it that way is automatically as men, our mind goes to sexual lust. And that's not the only thing he's talking about. So the ESV translates that no longer for human passions, those, that, those aspects, uh, uh, Rob used the word worldly, those worldly aspects, worldly traits, where we are pursuing everything for our own self, our own self-indulgence, our own self-gratification, instead of for the will of God. Because what, and I, I'm, I'm going to put it another way, the longer we walk with the lord and the longer we understand these perspectives that peter is developing the longer or the more we begin to understand it is not about me it's about him it's not for my self elevation and self glory it's about his glory it's 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 for him and for the will of god is a huge, broad term. But in context, what he's saying is pretty narrow. What is the will of God for your life? I, I mean, I was in an academic ministry almost all my life at three different institutions in three different parts of the country. And the most frequent question I was asked of co- by college students was, what's God's will for my life? And I would take him to a passage like this, or I'd take him to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, where Paul talks about the will of God. And the will of God is that you be sanctified. The will of God is that you be holy. And then I would come back with this audacious statement I pulled out of thin air. 96% of God's will for your life is already revealed. And that's not what they want to hear, you know, because when they come to me, what they're saying, what's God's will for my life? What they really mean is, should I marry this girl that I've been dating for the last two years? That's what they mean. Or should I take, I have three positions, which one is God's will for my life when I graduate next month? Or, you know, I mean, there are the kind of things, and it's okay, there's nothing wrong with going to seek counsel from someone on those kinds of things. But it's always fascinating to me how the Bible uses the phrase, the will of God. Usually it doesn't have much to do with the kind of car we should buy or the kind of house we should buy. It's not that those things aren't important. They're very important stewardship issues. But when the phrase, the will of God is used in the Bible, it usually refers to a life and walk of holiness or sanctification. And that's really what Peter is driving at here. If the power of sin has been broken in your life, if your position, what you know, we've briefly been talking about, your positional truth, then what's the will of God for your life? To walk in loving obedience with Him, as He's holy, I want to be holy. To allow Him, in the words of Galatians four nineteen, to transform me into the image of His Son. And so, let's put it another way: My will is lining up with God's will, because I have a will. It's the way God made me. I'm creating the image of God, which means at least three things. As God has intellect, emotion, and will, I have intellect, emotion, and will. And what God's desire is that my intellect, the way I think, my emotion, the way I react, because God, God is an emotional being, he made me an emotional being, and my intentionality, my will, are going to line up with his. Now we've talked about this from different perspectives over the years, but how long does it take us for line up to line up our intellect, emotion, and will? It's taken me—I'm seventy years old, and I'm not even close. I'm, I'm getting to preaching again, but it, you know, it's just that's okay. That's the way God does this, and so He says, "So be, because Christ suffered in the flesh, and you are, you are." having the mindset that i should probably expect that too in a broken world but although i understand that power of sin has been broken in my life therefore i have a whole new goal in life it's not to serve the passions of my body and my mind it's to line my life up in intellect emotion intellect emotion and will with the will of god and again that's why and i you know i delighted that so many of you guys show up every Wednesday at lunch hour. Because what we are studying week after week, month after month, year after year, is how we go about doing this. Because the more you study the Word of God, the more you understand God's perspective on things, uh, His will, etc. And we are just gradually lining our lives up with that. It's called loving obedience. So the, the
1: person who is unsaved sees the world and the worldly choices. Totally. So then when a person accepts Christ into their life, they still see the world and the worldly choices, but they have a different perspective on how to make the choice that they make. That's
0: right. That's right. And and even, if I can just add even additional, even the, 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 the goal and the purpose of doing that. Because, I mean, I still, and I, I can't imagine you guys don't know what I mean, I still struggle every day with the issue of motivation. Why am I doing what I'm doing? You know, doing it just for myself and self elevation, self glory, or, you know, for, for the glory of the Lord. I want to please him. And I I, I I kind of struggle with that almost every day of my life. It's an issue. When I was president, I used to, I mean, I served in the chamber board. I was a lot of different things. I was asked constantly to pray and give, you know, I'm the token evangelical. Who's going to have to pray at this chamber meeting? Let's get Ekman to do it. <laughs> so, you know, that's what I would do. But I would, I would struggle always with, with the motivation of how I'm going to go about doing this. Am I doing this because when I'm done, as I'm walking out of that Holiday Inn Convention Center or what's the new one out of La Vista? Well, you know what I mean. Where people say, great prayer, thanks. That was wonderful. Oh, that was a great prayer. If that's my motivation, my prayers bounced off the ceiling. Now, I'm being a little dramatic here, but it's that, it's that issue of Why do I do what I do? I want to line up my intellect, emotion, and will with the will of the Lord. And that's just something we constantly will deal with. Constantly deal with. But Peter, it's just, this is fantastic. This is fantastic stuff. I think, I didn't hear any amens there, so maybe it isn't. But, uh, so, you look therefore at verse 3, what verse three is, and 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 that little, I think all of your translations will have that. The F O R for it's a gar in Greek. It's explaining what he means by the human passions. It's almost like he's saying, no longer for human passion, but for little God. Now let me give you a whole bunch of examples of what I mean. That's a paraphrase of that little gar, that that little Greek word for. The time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. That is, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Paul does this all the time in his writings. He says, this is what you used to be, and he has this whole list of vices. Here's what you are with a whole list of virtues. Peter doesn't do that. He just says, let me give you some examples of the human passions that you no longer are interested in because you're lining your life up with the will of God. The Gentiles live like this, sensuality, passion, drunkenness, orgy, drinking, parties, lawless idolatry. Look at what he says, with respect to this, verse 4, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. Oh, that is a great translation. I mean, that is a great translation. But, I mean, I don't think anyone in this room doesn't understand what he's meaning. What he means there. Because his point is, it's, Paul says it in other parts of his writings, here's the way you used to live. These used to characterize how you lived your life. These are your priorities, this is your lifestyle, but no longer. Here's how you live. That's not what Peter's doing. He says, here's how they live, and this is the way you used to live. And now that you no longer do it, what does he say they do? They malign you. Oh, my goodness. I'm pretty sure every one of you around this table can identify with that. That probably to one degree or another, one dimension or another, or even just maybe one specific thing or another. Yep. That's the way I used to live. That used to characterize me and the people I used to associate with who doing, doing another thing. I don't do it anymore. And now they're mocking me, making fun of me. A strong word, maligning me. See, Peter, what Peter is doing is, and he doesn't specifically say it, but it's clear. Expect this. Don't be shocked when this happens. Expect this. It's almost like he's saying, because of your new identity, the positional truth, which is the reality of who you are, don't expect to necessarily fit in anymore. Don't expect that the values and virtues of this world will be the same values and virtues you have. And because that's probably going to be the case, expect some friction expect to be maligned <laughs> you can get stronger and stronger and stronger in the reaction so it's it's almost like he's saying let me I'm gonna work some Pauline some language of Paul into it and, and and get up where Peter is death to the old life hurts sometimes dying to the old life hurts sometimes Because this is your new position of who you are in Christ, but you still are living with all the old habits and old passions and old patterns. What you're doing is you're starting to want to line these two up, your position of who you are with how you're living. And and that one takes time, and it sometimes hurts. Death to the old life, which is what sanctification is, sometimes hurts. It's hurt. It can hurt personally. It can hurt emotionally, and it can hurt even in ter- ter- terms sometimes of friendships and relationships, because you're cutting the ties to the old habits. And in a sense, that is the dimension of of uh, of uh, suffering and pain that Peter is talking about here. He's not talking about lying on a hospital bed, sick. Something that—that's not really what he's talking about in these two verses. He's talking about the kind of suffering that can can, can characterize you as you're dying to the old life, the old patterns, the old habits.
2: Back in the, in the second chapter, you gives us a handout: thoughts to words, words to actions, actions to habits, habits to the character, character to destiny. right Exactly. Um, yeah. About the concern for our thought life and the strategy for holiness, Mm. Um, and this is kind of the here's what's going to
0: happen. Perfect, perfect. That's a great connection to make, Glenn. Exactly. You have your strategy for holiness. You're lining your will up with the will of God, but yeah, these are going to some of the things that probably will happen. Expect that. Don't be surprised by it. And it's just it's a reminder of something he had said at the beginning of this book. Remember, we're aliens. We're pilgrims. This isn't our home anymore. I mean, in in the perspective of eternity. I mean, it's just, this is part of, uh, this is part of the realities of, uh, of beginning the new life with Christ. And I mean, I've walked with the Lord since 1972, and I'm still learning this stuff. I still am. I'm still learning what this means. And it, it always, um, it's always refreshing and helpful to remember. This takes time, and the Lord's okay with that because he's, he's cleaning you out. <laughs> uh, another guy put it this way, one of my other Bible studies a couple of years ago. He said, boy, it really takes the Lord a long time to get rid of all the junk in my life. That's how he said it. And I thought, he nailed it. That's exactly right we got a lot of junk in our life from the you know our old habits and old patterns and it just takes the time the lord we uh, i don't know, I don't remember we did this but I think I did it here in this group just a a little booklet my heart Christ's home do you remember that little did, did, wasn't it wasn't in this okay that's just another illustration of kind of the same the same thing We're just the lord is gradually gradually piercing and penetrating every area of our life. Even that little secret room that we have locked on the second floor that we don't want to look at. Remember that? All right. We've been hoarding a long time. Yeah,
1: that's
0: right. We've been hoarding a long time. That's good. Verse 5. In light of now everything he said, how your old acquaintances and old friends of the old, you're dying to that old life. He reminds us of something. But... Now, that's a contrast word. They, who's the they? Those who are part of the old life you're dying to. Those who are maligning and mocking. But they will give an account to him. Who? To Jesus, who is ready to judge the living and the dead. In in all that, and it, it, we can't respond to that. They're going to get it. They deserve it. That's... Well, in a way, it's okay to respond that way, but that's not the main. It, the main thing is what, the, the main thrust of this is what the Old Testament law says, what Paul says in Romans 12, what Jesus says several times. Vengeance is mine. I'll take care of them. Another way of paraphrasing that. They're answerable to me. I'll handle it. And that's hard. I don't know about you, but I, I want to punch them out. I want to flatten them. I want to throw them against a the wall. You know, all those horrible, horrible metaphors that you don't have any idea what I'm talking about in your own life. But it's just, it, it, Peter's just saying the Lord will take care of them, they're accountable to Him. Maybe a theological point to judge the living and the dead. That's in a number of places in the scriptures, Old and New Testament. Let's just make sure that we're we're, we're clear on that. Living and the dead, meaning even those who have died without Christ and who have rejected his grace are still accountable to him. And Revelation 20 tells us when that's going to occur. It's what's called the great white throne. So, I mean, I, I don't want to make a big deal out of that, but I just want to make sure that if you have a question in the back of your mind or living into the dead, why is he separating the two? It's, it's just those who are alive now that you see, in a, but also those that may have maligned and hurt you 20 years ago, and they never came to terms with the Lord. They're still accountable to the Lord. The Lord will hold them to account. And, and that's all he's really saying. All right? Yeah, uh, Rob.
2: Something that... I struggle with occasionally is the idea that our only chance to go to heaven is accepting Christ in this life once we're in hell we're there and that's it and the idea that you're still accountable to God or Jesus after this life even if you're not in heaven is fascinating it implies to me that there still is room a reason for him to judge. Does that contradict this idea that he only
0: Yeah do it does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh I don't mean to be so flippant there, Rob. Um, okay. The if I can back up for just a moment, when I brought up the white great way throne judgment that's discussed in in Revelation 20, the purpose of that, the purpose of that judgment is to um, to lay out the just reasons why God is going to send that person to the to the lake of fire. <clears throat> God is a just God and God doesn't do anything um, in any way or any dimension or any level that's not just. And so this will validate and, and, and make very clear why, this person will spend eternity separated from Him. That's what the Great White Throne of Judgment. It is. It is. Uh, it would. It would contradict everything uh, that I know in all of the Bible that God gives people a second chance after they die, I- including. It's. This is more to satisfy. No, I shouldn't say satisfy. This is more. It meaning the Great White Throne is more to demonstrate the perfect justice of God. And it is, it is really important to remember, and I know we've talked about that, or I've talked about it, at least in this class. Um, C.S. Lewis has a magnificent chapter in his book, The Great Divorce, in which he talks about hell. And Lewis says, hell is the greatest monument to human freedom there is. And you have to think about that. What does he mean by that one? Well, and he explains it. Because, uh, I'll paraphrase what is in kind of a long section, but throughout a person's life, they have consistently rejected the grace of God, willfully and intentionally. Lewis says, you've said to God every day, I don't want you in my life. I don't want to accept the sacrifice that Christ has made for me. I can handle it. I don't need you. I don't want you. Get away from me. And Lewis says, day after day after day after day, that's what you're saying to God. Despite everything you've done for me, God, I'm going to live it my way. Doesn't matter whether I screw things up. Doesn't matter whatever happened. I don't want you. And so Lewis says, when you die, the trajectory from time to eternity just carries on. You, therefore, will spend eternity without God. Why? Why? Because that's what you chose, and Lewis concludes, God never sends a person to hell. that's what they chose. and I think theologically and practically that's exactly right. So the great White Throne is where God lays out the evidence. Here is the evidence of why you chose hell. I mean that in, in effect that's trite every to every every instance of my grace that I showered upon you. I gave you an opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to respond to it. And you didn't. You chose to live your life without me, despite everything I've done for you. And so if God is perfectly just, perfect justice demands that eternity reflect what temporal life, eternal life reflects what temporal life is. You and I, presumably, I'm assuming that's true for all of you around this table, you and I have chosen to be a Christ follower, which means we've made a decision. We've drawn a line in the sand. I can't live my life without Christ. And the trajectory into eternity is you will spend eternity with the Lord. But the person who continually, habitually, day after day, rejects God and says, I don't want you, I don't want you, I hate you, I don't want you in my life, God says, okay, that's the choice you've made. Therefore, that's how you'll spend eternity.
1: We will still have to stand before the judgment seat and account for our sentence, though. Won't we?
0: Now, you mean the believer? Yes. Yeah, uh, that's Second Corinthians five ten, for example. Yeah, 5, that's. 10. It's not so much. No, I don't think that's the right way to put that. And that's not what Paul is talking about there, uh, John. Right? Yes. John, it's 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 for the purpose of rewards. It's for the purpose of. Well, for rewards. That's such a big topic. But it isn't that I have to give an answer for my sin in the sense because Jesus Christ has paid that penalty. I will not be judged for my sin. But I will be held account for how I live my life now that I've chosen to follow Christ. Do you know what I mean? And so that's what Paul's talking. It's called the Bama Seat. And the, the end result of that, is, and this is a very difficult topic. I find it. It's hard for me to understand all that that means. But that is, what is uh, that is what uh, the determination of rewards is all about. And that's what 1 Corinthians 3 is about that too. You know, we've lived our lives. One wood, hay, stubble. One gold, silver, precious stone. And the Lord evaluates that. It isn't for purpose that he even says. There will be many, many who will be there. But they'll just make it, so to speak. It's like crashing through a burning wall. You make it. But, so I don't know if I've answered. They're, they're two separate
1: you purposes. When, when I was dying, I just I was just months away from death,
0: mm. uh,
1: from cancer. Mm. And Second Corinthians 5.10 terrified
0: me. Oh, my.
1: Absolutely terrified.
0: Oh, my goodness. So
1: thank you. Thank
0: you for... <laughs> well, the Lord wanted you to ask that question. Now, mm-hmm. I mean, it, 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 it's, I understand that chapter, and I've, I've used it in my own personal life as well as in, in my pastoral counseling with some people. 2 Corinthians 5.10 and, and that whole chapter is to motivate us to live the life that Peter's talking about, lining up my will, my intellect, emotional will with the Lord. Because mm-hmm. that's, that's the best way for me to live. And Jesus says, that's important to me. The famous suit, I'm going to evaluate. The wood, hay, stubble, the gold, silver, precious stone. It's that they're metaphors for how we live our lives. Yeah. It doesn't affect our salvation, our standing, our justification. And this is a hard thing to talk about because, in my view, at least the Bible isn't as clear on this as I'd like it to be. It affects rewards. It, it affects our standing in the kingdom. And I'm not sure what all that means exactly. It's a very difficult topic. But anyway, that is definitely the thrust of 2 Corinthians 5. Thank you. You bet. Do you back. think there's you. anyone in heaven
2: that'll get a little, uh, like, buffalo wild wind sauce and then the people to do do you, do you was, do you in California get that sandy sauce? Good night. I've never had
0: anyone ask me a question like that. Well, you think no, I'm, I'm everybody's just
2: going to have a great time? I mean, it's going to be great for everybody in heaven? But <coughs> there's levels, right?
0: Well, uh, this Matt, this is a this is a very difficult topic. Um, well, let me put it this way: this matter of what eternity is going to look like. To be very honest, the Bible is not very specific on that. It really isn't. Um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians ten, "I has not seen." Ear has not heard nor the mind of man conceived all that God has in store for those who love him. I've always understood that among other things, understood that to mean God is saying eternity with me is going to be beyond anything you can see now, hear now, or even conceive in your mind. You are a finite temporal being. It is, It is almost impossible for me to explain to you what the infinite and eternal is going to be like. You and I do not have a category for that. And so, God God talks about the eternal dimension of of being with Him as I will walk with you, I will be with you, Um, I will fellowship with you forever. I mean, these are the things that are talked about in Isaiah sixty-five, sixty-six, in Revelation 21 and 22. But he doesn't say uh, in great detail, now you're going to be visiting planet Pluto and mining the minerals there and bringing them back to my throne. I just made that up. But, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't, it's not specific, but... I don't see any reason because God created all of those things that you and I in the eternal state forever and ever and ever and ever and ever ever won't go on exploring the universe that God's made. I mean, why would he have made all this if he doesn't want us to enjoy and explore it with him? But in the eternal dimension, we're we're no longer finite. We're in an infinite, eternal world. What would that mean? You and I have absolutely no idea. The best example I can think of this was my little girl was three and a half years old. And one night we were talking about heaven. And Joanna was asking me some questions. I mean, you know, three-and-a-half-year-old. Uh, she wasn't asking me major theological questions. Her major question was, Daddy, what's heaven like? Okay, how do I talk to a three-and-a-half-year-old about heaven? And I, you know, I started to use some broad straight. We're going to be with Jesus, and we won't be doing bad things anymore. Uh, mommy and Daddy will be with you, but we're, we're going to have a brand-new body. And you just watch this little three-and-a-half-year-old mind processing. this. And then she asked this question. Okay, Then when do I come back?
1: <laughs> no, no, no,
0: honey. You don't come back. I said, no, no, honey. You're, you're not. You're understanding. You know, um, Peggy's uncle had died not too many weeks earlier. And I said, remember when Uncle Bob died? He went to be with Jesus. He's never going to come back. He's waiting for when Jesus comes back, and the body that is in the ground is going to be joined with his spirit. He's going to live with Jesus forever. And she said. Okay, okay, I got that. But, Daddy, when do I come back then? You know, it was like so her world was her room and her little net thing on the ceiling with all her stuffed animals and her little doll. That's her world. And she just couldn't even conceive of something eternal. Well, I'm 70 years old, and I still can't really conceive the eternal. And so it's almost mad as if the Lord is saying, I'm gonna honor you. I'm gonna honor you in living a life that's pleasing to me. It matters how you live your life. But I can't really explain a lot of what that means. And certainly to walk with me day in and day out in eternity and bring all of the, bring all of the, the fruits of your work, which is what Revelation 21 seems to indicate to him. You just can't possibly explain the eternal and the infinite to someone that's finite and temporal. Gotta wait, but trust me. Eye has not seen, ears not heard, nor the mind of man conceived all that God has but for those who love him. Amen. That's just, it's a great promise. It's
1: called
0: hope. It is, and it's, it's the energizing center of our life. It's called hope of what the future will be like.
1: We
0: have faith. Yeah, I mean, it's just, there's an old hymn of the church. I, I, I don't think I've sung it in church in 30 years. But it, it starts like this. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. It will be worth it all. And it's just, we have to trust him. We have to have the hope that everything he's promised to us, he's going to fulfill. And I, I guarantee you, the one thing I know is what God makes a promise, he's going to keep it. I mean, I, I'll die for that statement. So it's just, Okay? We wait. But that means, and this is what Peter's saying, but, you know, the realities of a broken, suffering world is you're going to live in a broken, suffering world until I come back for you. and There's going to be some hard things. And then he's personalizing it. you got to get rid of the junk, and that's going to take time, and that's going to hurt. Um. All right. <laughs> Silence. That's good, because you're thinking and, 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 and processing these great truths from the scriptures. So I hope I answered. I can't remember who started asking the questions. Were there any others? I, I think I got to all of them. I want you to notice, we'll just get started on this. We have about four minutes left. But look at verse 7 now. I just think this is fantastic. The end of all things is at hand wait a minute, he wrote that in A.D. 61. It's 2017. And we're supposed to read that? The end of all things is at hand? That is precisely the point. Because what's the next thing in God's program? In A.D. 61, it was the next thing in God's program. In 2017, it's the next thing in God's program. When the Heavenly Father says to God the Son, Go get your church. It's what's recorded in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 51. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Jesus said, I'm going back to Father, but I'll come back for you. That's the next thing. So, from God's perspective, which is an eternal, infinite perspective, the end of all things is at hand. Everything's been done. All the covenant arrangements have been set. Jesus has come. He's been, de- he's, he's, he's been crucified. He's dead and buried. He's, he's resurrected. He's ascended back to the Father. There isn't anything else that needs to come. The Holy Spirit's come. The new order has begun. What's the next thing? Jesus coming back from his church and starting, starting the last seven-year timeline. So from God's perspective, the end of all things is at hand. What's the next word? Therefore, you and I are to live our lives from this vantage point. Eternal future promises of God should affect how we live now. And that's what Peter's doing. The eternal perspective that god has the end of all things is at hand that future set of promises that jesus is coming back for us and all that stuff should affect how we live now that's what he's saying therefore be self-controlled be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers keep loving one another now we're almost at the end of our time so we're not going to get through all these but let's do one let's just do one because Jesus is coming back for us, because the end of all things at hand, because Jesus is gonna fulfill his promises to come back, how should that affect how I live? I studied under a man who said this one time to us. If you knew Jesus was coming back in exactly six weeks, how would that affect how you live these six weeks? What's the right answer to that question? It shouldn't affect how you live. (laughs) You should be living with that anticipation continually and constantly. Amen. My mother, I know I've told you this before, my mom used to say to me, Jimmy, do you want to be doing that when Jesus comes back?
1: <laughs>
0: now, she, she's the only one in the universe that can call me Jimmy. And she's 90, she's got dementia, but she still calls me Jimmy. So, anyway. But she was saying the same thing Peter is saying here. She was saying it in a very she was trying to, to get me to behave. But what she was saying was right that Jesus is coming back for us should affect how we live. And so Peter is saying, self-control. I'm pretty sure all of your translations have it translated that way, but self-control is the ninth and final fruit of the Spirit. Self-control is is that that dimension of Spirit-controlled living where nothing else is controlling us Would you call that the, ninth and final? the ninth and final fruit of the spirit it's in Galatians 5:22 and 23. There are nine fruit of the spirit listed there. the ninth and final one is self-control. I'm saying all that because I want to tie that into that it is the Holy Spirit who enables us and empowers us to live a self-controlled life. Paul says this. in in 1 Corinthians, chapter 8 and chapter 10. I will not be controlled by anything. (coughs) I I will not be controlled (coughs) by anything but the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm really paraphrasing, but that's what he's saying. I will not be controlled by anything but the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, what does that mean? Well, it can mean, you know, obviously things like alcohol, drugs, uh, pornography, workaholism, anything that controls us. Uh, you, you know, most of you have it. This thing, this can control us. We can absolutely be subservient and in control of this thing. Now, Joe lives his life based on this kind of stuff. But, I mean, it's he controls it. It doesn't control him. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's accurate. All I'm saying is, what Peter is saying is, I'm, I'm trying to really elongate a little bit, but how all the things in the Bible approach this. Don't let anything control you except the Holy Spirit. Here again, you're lining up intellect, emotion, and will with the will of god because what's the command of ephesians 5:18? be controlled by the spirit and as i think we did this a while back everything else in the rest of the book the rest of chapter five and all of chapter six flows out of that command if you're under the control of the spirit this is going to affect everything else in your life it's going to affect how you relate to marriage how you relate to your kids how you work at workplace etc and so that's all Peter. It's one, it's one word. It's one word in the Greek. It's a hyphenated word in English. Because Jesus is coming back for you and the end of all things is in here. don't let anything control you except the Spirit. <laughs> what a great way to think about our lives. Because every one of us, I mean, especially, uh, especially in the United States where there are so many things that can easily control us. You know, television, music, all the other things we've talked about. That just so controls you, no? Enjoy all of those things, but keep it in balance. One of the most important words of the Christian life is a life of balance. You're not letting things control you. you enjoy, do you enjoy faggots? <coughs> you know, enjoy a glass of wine, maybe some of you do with a steak. That's okay. But don't let it control you. And you need to know when that's gonna happen. That's all Peter's saying. Well, I gotta, I gotta end. Man, did we do a lot today? I just and all the bunny trails that got us off the subject are all your fault. So <clears throat> I won't take any. No, I'm just kidding. Let's pray here, Lord. Thank you for our time today around the Word of God. Thank you for the very powerful and poignant, but very practical elements in in what we've been studying together in Peter. Help us to be men of God who. Understand our position. It's very, very clear in Christ. Understand that we're dying to the old life, the old habits. That's the process. We're allowing you to conform us into the image of your son. And, uh, Lord, we're also in the business, in the process of lining up our intellect and emotion and will with you, the will of God. Lord, thank you for your patience with us. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you care for each and every one of us. Thank you for what you're doing in each one of our lives. Help us to be now men who live with the expectation of Christ's return for us, but always shaping and molding our life around that great promise and great truth. We think of Fred today. uh, Be with him and just uh, hopefully give him comfort and strength. I'm so glad to see Woody back with us after his uh, bout with that, uh, that flu bug, and we're grateful for that. Give us a good rest of the day now. Dismiss us with your blessing, and may we represent you well in all we say and do in Christ's name. And see you next more. week.